You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to learn more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com, where we have past podcasts, blogs, and a couple items for sale. So check us out, beardedtheologians.com. Thank you for listening, and enjoy this week's show. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Matt Franks. And Zach Bechtold. And today we have a, a super special guest with us. We have Reverend Molly Beter, who is the senior pastor at Westwood United Methodist Church in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Molly, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Why don't you share a little bit with our listeners, you know, who are you, where you're from, what do you do? Well, I get to be the pastor of this fantastic church in Los Angeles, where we are committed to inclusion and trying to figure out how to be a United Methodist Church in this strange period of deferred general conferences. And uh, so some of my church folks have been asking what's going on. And I decided not only to host a class, but to turn it into a little podcast of interviews. And I thought it might be relevant to other people in other places wanting to be a part of the conversation, not only at a level that makes sense in this sort of strategy for delegates to general conference, but in a way that makes sense for people in real places and local congregations. So I made this podcast and then I reached out to y'all and said, hey, could I be a part of the Bearded Theologians? So thank you for making me an, I guess, do I get an honorary beard for being here or is this, a, is there any ritual? I, I used to tell our, our guests that we would, um, you know, Photoshop it on uh, in post and bang on that at me because that's a lot of work. So <laughs> right, right. Plus I think Zoom just will let you do that automatically is one of their magic filters. Yeah. There's awesome filters now. Um, but you definitely get to be a beardo. Um, that's something I just came up with right now. Uh, awesome. <laughs> um, well, tell us. Oh, go ahead, man. Well, I was just saying, it just mean what it really means is we'll flood you with stickers, and you know you'll get definitely a lot of bearded theologian stickers. You can post uh, in awkward places like bathrooms and things just to help promote our podcast. So perfect. I want to make sure that yeah. young girls that grow up in my church that only see a woman as senior pastor know that bearded people can be theologians too. So yes. glad to be here. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> oh, so well. Um, <laughs> Lordy. Um, yeah, so, so tell us a little bit more about the podcast. Um, uh, it's called, Where Do We Go From Here? Uh, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, thanks. So I've called the podcast, Where Do We Go From Here? UMC uh, is a tip of the hat to Martin Luther King Jr. who in, uh, I think it's 1967, published his final book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community. Um, it happened to come out not only shortly before his assassination, but shortly before the founding of the United Methodist Church. Uh, a lot was happening in the world in, in and around 1968. And it seemed like a helpful lens to take sort of a theological perspective and a big picture look at, at where we are and what openings there are for being the church that we're, we're called to be. And my congregation is not anymore interested in debates about whether or not we should be including and celebrating the fullness of gifts of LGBTQ plus persons in our churches and communities. We're interested in how we help make the world look more like our understanding of beloved community that embraces and affirms the image of God in all people. So uh, my hope was that we might not only sort of plug into what, what's happening in the United Methodist Church, but do so in a way that gives 
permission and power to people in real places to um, be a church that looks more like what I believe Christ wants it to look like. I, um, I used to really want to change the general conference to change the book of discipline. And I still feel like it, it has real power and it is an obstacle to us being the church that we're called to be. But I actually wanna change the world like the book of discipline is not actually my like targeted goal. So um, in this season when we can't meet as general conference, in some ways there's permission to move and change and like get better at grace and acceptance and belonging and love. And the more we do that in real places, uh, the better off we are. I mean, that was really like, that's really what I wanted anyway. I thought that changes in the book of discipline could help us get there. Uh, maybe it's sort of irrelevant in this moment. So what can we do? How can we understand things now to behave responsibly and uh, act like grace? So, um, so I wanted to interview people. So this podcast is a set of interviews. I made a list of what I thought were some of the big questions before the church, like, uh, and, and they end up teaching some about our weird United Methodist way of doing things. Like, why are we fighting over property and pensions? Um, what's the deal with the global church? Why is that a thing? Uh, where does all this descent come from? Like what started this? What are, trace down some of the roots of the uh, movements that have helped form what's now the global Methodist church. Um, so those things will happen, but also through the lens of actual people. So my first interview was with Bishop Bickerton, our new president of the council bishops of the denomination. And I heard him say that we have permission. So uh, it's got me running forward um, as quickly as I can uh, into this work. It's a mix of LGBTQ plus voices and uh, cisgender straight voices in, amongst the batch of interviewers. And um, I've been inspired so far, which is, I, I think was a little surprising to me that the, um, particularly in my interview with Randall Miller, he um, growing up as a gay man and a black man, in a church, experienced the church as a context of support and love and affirmation and encouragement that shaped him as a person of faith and as a leader. Uh, and the way he described that was for me a like powerful, I don't know, encouragement or conviction even that doing this work in real places with real young people uh, makes a, a difference. So it's the start of Pride Month now, seems like a good time to plug the power that we have, the capacity we have. And if you're in a context where your congregation's not ready to say that out loud, if, if you can be the person who finds uh, subtle and powerful ways to make that clear, uh, having a friend, an ally, a, a grown-up that, that knows you and sees you it is, is like significant and real and powerful. Absolutely. Um, gosh, that I grew up. I grew up in the Panhandle of Texas. That's very conservative, very Southern Baptist, very Hispanic Catholic. And um, it wasn't until I started moving around, working with youth groups uh, and college age students who had been kicked out of their house, been disowned by their families, and things like that, that my understanding, respective theology, grace, all of it began to change. And seeing all of that, right, and just how important it is for us as, as just right beyond being a pastor, beyond being leaders, but just as people making space, um, 
just making space, right? Um, is huge. And, and the fact that we get to do that um, or are called to do that in the church as pastors, as leaders is huge. And it, it just takes one, right? Uh, in, in, I, think your, I think your encouragement and your permission, your church isn't ready, that's okay. You are, right? Do it in the subtle ways. Just be, be who you are and make that space. And you don't know who uh, or how that, that makes space for somebody else in a really meaningful and honestly dire way, right? Um, I mean, we've, we've all served communities and lived in places that it was hush-hush, that uh, you couldn't talk about sexuality, you couldn't talk about really anything. <laughs> um, and yeah, making that space for people is huge. And, and I think exactly what you're doing with your podcast and one, having open and honest conversations about what it is we're moving towards and not waiting, uh, I'm, I'm here for it. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I want to be clear that like, I believe Jesus wants us to do this. This isn't like, I think sometimes, and the, the like longer I've been in this work, I feel like the, the piece in the book of discipline that prevents the church from providing funding support to any ministries that support the, whatever it says, encouragement of homosexuality or some like super bizarre language. Um, the church like has not taught how that you can have a like robust theology that affirms the image of God in all people that sees diversities of gender identity and sexual orientation as a gift and not an obstacle that like we've done such a poor job of teaching that and coming to give people tools to reconcile that with their theology the sort of general assumption is well you know I like believe in the church but I also love my neighbor friend grandchild whatever and so I'm going to like make an exception it's like you have to like shelve part of your theology because you decide the love you've experienced overrides it but I don't think that's the case at all that it's a faithful living out of this it's consistent with the same love and um finding ways and openings to uh, make make space to embody that I think are are really important well wouldn't you say that that's where um like he uh, you said the church hasn't done, uh, you know, teaching the idea of, you know, just human sexuality well. And then back in my head, I literally, the back of my head literally said, what has the church done well? <laughs> um, and and I've, that's something I've been wrestling with for a while now. Um, you know, um, we, we even refuse to talk about our hand in the boarding school stuff. Uh, dear Lord, if we ever started talking, really started talking about that, I mean, I, I have a laundry list of things that I could say there are some things we need to talk about too, because we just, we haven't done things well, but what would it look like? And, and I think this is at least what I'm getting a sense from your podcast. What would it look like to not just shed light on that, that say, Hey, but say to give hope for people who are in places where this isn't a, co a coffee shop conversation uh, or um, the feedlot conversation, that it actually can have a space for that. And I, it sounds like you're creating that space, inviting those people in to do that. And I, that that's how we provide, I think in my, in my honest opinion, that's how we provide hope. Uh, the church did such a great job of hiding intellectualism and like saying, no, yeah, we want you to think, but don't just don't think outside the, the book. Um, and that's the book of discipline, not the Bible. Um, and it's like, like five paragraphs of the book of discipline, even like, yeah, there's radical stuff in there. Oh yeah. Like, like 
our articulation of how we do theology is really lovely. Oh, it's beautiful. And, and, and it blows my mind how we have forgotten that. Um, and, and how, um, I think the frustration, cause I just came out of uh, annual conference. So like all uh, those fields all are, right are, are still there. Yeah, now, granted, I only went one day, but we don't need to get into that. Um, uh, but you'll edit that out later, right? Oh no, I'm, I'm okay with saying I was only there one day. <laughs> like, uh, what are they going to do to me? Move me? I'm, I'm already right, in the right. conference. So it doesn't matter. Um, uh, but you know, one of the things I came out of that was like, this isn't something that Jesus would have enjoyed doing. And I say that not the sense of gathering community and worshiping, you know, there are some things at a conference I love and love every year, whether I, I can watch online or whatever, um, you know, the memorial service, the ordination service, those things I love, but dear Lord, if, I mean, heaven forbid, if we want to actually talk about something, you know, just getting it to the floor is almost impossible. Uh, and then, you know, just the idea of one of the things that Zach and I learned fairly quickly in doing work in the general church was just even getting people to understand what a speech for is and what a speech against is, right. and right. that questions cannot be speeches. Um, you know, um, I think there's a lot of work to do, and I think places like your podcast uh, can provide that light uh, for those you know, I remember being out in rural Western Oklahoma and thinking, man, it'd really be nice to have some people to talk to about some of the things that I'm having to deal with that aren't something that I can go look up uh, on the general board website or, you know, stuff. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. I do feel like that's a great gift of this moment of, and, it, and I think pandemic vastly accelerated this, but the ease with which we can access a conversation that's not happening at our local cafe, that we want to be a part of and like there's that that like you learn by overhearing what people are talking about and if you've never been able to overhear anyone talking in a different way than the sort of context that you're immediately in um it's hard to imagine i i think there's also this really dangerous thing that happens and it certainly happens in the church and that is we act like the person who brought up the topic is the person who inflicted the trauma um, uh, this happens with race, certainly, and it happens with human sexuality. Um, so I feel like this is part of the calling that rests, responsibility that rests on me as the person who occupies as much privilege as I do, as a, you know, established and empowered leader in the church, as an ordained pastor, as a white person, as a cisgender person, a straight woman. Like, I have a responsibility to start opening up this conversation and certainly can take the whatever resistance there is to the discomfort of talking about it because there's someone in the community maybe in the pew next to me who is terrified for their life or doesn't know how to talk to their child or make sense of their own identity and they're living with real trauma that's inflicted by the church's silence and judgment and if we don't create openings then um we're going to be in a continue perpetuating these um things that we need to repent from in one day. There's also this wild idea that Randall Miller, in, in the second episode, I interviewed Randall Miller and was asking him why he stays in the church. Uh, my favorite trivia about Randall is that he's both chaired the commission on the general conference and been arrested on the floor of general conference in protest of anti-gay policies. And that's like a lot to hold together in a person. Uh, so I was asking him why he stays in the church and he gave a beautiful answer. And at the, But at the end of it, opened up this idea that 
I kind of want to circle back to you. Maybe there'll be a second interview with him. He said something like he wants to stay in the church long enough to get to be a part of helping the church repent. That there's this responsibility, not only to like open up the conversation, but be here long enough to experience um, walking through repentance and grace and transformation. And that's sort of a wild idea uh, to think about our duty to be here through the, through the repentance. Right. Well, I mean, that goes back to what you said at the very beginning. Um, you know, I came into this and, and I would, I don't want to speak for Matt, but I feel like we're probably on the same page with this. So we all came into this to change, change the church. Right. Uh, and I think we're all beginning to look at it now and taking the privilege that we have and taking, you know, the power and voice and all that we have as leaders to know, to change the world right to make this space bigger and and the goal goal isn't to change a book it it's to change it's to change the world and to make space in a much bigger place than i think i would have thought 10 years ago uh when when i began to pursue this place right and i, I mean that's exactly right i want to stay around long enough not to see change but to be active and a part in the repentance and the grace-filled parts of it and, and the moving forward and being in that space, right? Uh, to get to be present and all of it. So, um, so Molly, you, um, I'm not, I, uh, sorry, I'm a little bit uh, loopy today. Uh, I, so just it's the post-annual conference haze it's well we all it. It, it would be the post-annual conference haze but i also had total hip replacement surgery on friday so like oh that's some good meds like oh yeah so like i'm not sure if i heard this <laughs> but uh <laughs> maybe it was the holy spirit yeah we'll, we'll, we'll just call it that or uh, uh or percocet whatever we right, want to uh, right. call it um like who all like do you have your full lineup uh, uh, already, or like, have you shared that? I just want to make sure that you've given a chance for your full lineup to be shared. Yeah, thank you. Um, I have designed the first six episodes and I've enjoyed it. So depending on if it's like useful or fruitful, I'm open to potentially a, ne a next batch. But the first six interviewees are Bishop Thomas Bickerton, the president of our council of bishops and Randall Miller, a layperson from Cal Nevada. Those two were already available online. They're coming out every Tuesday. Uh, so those two are out next Tuesday, an interview with Lonnie Chafin, the treasurer of the Northern Illinois Conference for a robust conversation on what pension and property has to do with the gospel. I think it would be, it's the one I wish I would have released a month ago because I think it will be relevant for delegates to annual conferences who are like overhearing petitions for rethinking how to calculate these things and with um, people disaffiliating, congregations leaving, these are really, really relevant. So I, I don't know that it's gonna be the sexiest episode, but it's coming. Uh, the fourth episode is with Bishop Karen Olivito, uh, who I'm excited and I know you all have uh, had here on your podcast. Uh, she's so uh, brilliant at proclaiming the gospel in everything she does. So I'm excited to talk with her about LGBTQ plus inclusion and why it matters and what we can do better. Uh, then I'm talking to Hannah Adair Bonner um, and she's gonna help me trace down some of the roots of the Global Methodist Church, WRD back, or what did I say? WCA, I have no idea what I'm saying. 
IRD, WCA IRD, uh, going back through other movements um, that precipitated this moment uh, as a out queer woman and a frequent advocate for justice. I'm excited to have Hannah with us. And then the final episode uh, will be with Lloyd Nirota, who's a pastor from Africa, currently serving in Canada, talking a little bit about the global church and why it matters and what's at stake. So that's my lineup for the this first batch. Cool. No, I, I love it. Because um, they are. They're, they're <laughs> if you're Methodist, they're super relevant, right? Uh, which, which we all are, and, and we run in a big circle. And so many folks, it, it's like you said earlier, so many, so many pastors and lay people don't have the permission of a safe space to even ask the question to another pastor, their own pastor, a church member in the pew beside them, or a district superintendent, or even a bishop, right? And so to be able to have these conversations here and provide that space and, and give quality, relevant information, right? Um, but also the right questions uh so that when it does come up in their area they can oh no that what are we doing <laughs> right um and and gives them something to stand on uh whether it's permission whether it's authority whether it's just knowledge right um i think i think something we don't do well is have these conversations um for whatever reason whether it's fear or um apathy i don't know uh we don't have these conversations well because they're hard right and um, but it's so, so important um, to have them in this space because they go far beyond our local church, yep. um, which is vital right now. Uh, I was at General Conference back in 2000. I was in seminary then, and I went, I was a reserve delegate from Nebraska. There was no way they were going to let me get to the floor because I was not going to vote the same way as the people who were the delegates seated uh, in our lay delegation then. Um, so I participated in a protest with an organization called Soul Force and had lots of conversations around the edge. I uh, built a friendship with a delegate from a fairly conservative conference in the Southeast jurisdiction who was struggling with his being closeted as a supporter of full inclusion. So he was on his delegation, like voting uh, to remove the harmful language, but not talking about it in his context. Uh, not on his delegation, he would, you know, not be elected. After the vote that year, I was sort of doing the like processing uh, with him. And he said something that has really stuck with me. He said, I think people in that room experienced the Holy Spirit nudging them to change and be more open, but they got paralyzed by the fear of how they would explain it to the folks back home. Uh, which just adds another layer to me of why it's important to talk about this in the places that are the, that are places back home. Because um, if that's what's holding us back, um, I mean, I sure wish that the general church would be like a prophetic leader that would help push the church forwards. But it seems like we're in a season where it's not going to be the prophetic voice. It's going to be responsive to the um, voice of people pulling from local places. So I guess I'm interested in stirring up that conversation a little. And there's lots of good people doing this. I don't want to act like I'm the only person in this conversation. Yeah. Certainly like the folks at Reconciling Ministries Network have doing been doing this so beautifully for a long time. 
certainly lots of the people whose shoulders I stand on have been helping me come to understanding of my own theology and how to live and work in the church. Some of them having left the church because of frustration with how reticent we are to change and how we continue to perpetuate harm. Uh, I'm glad to be a part of that like chorus of voices and community that are um, speaking up for justice. I mentioned in my interview with Tom Bickerton that I, um, the church that I pastor was pastored by uh, Mel Wheatley, who got elected bishop in 1972. That's when he left Westwood. And he was one of the first bishops to be boldly outspoken for inclusion. He served in uh, what was in Rocky Mountain Conference. Uh, and the retired, uh, there's a association of retired United Methodist clergy that came out of uh, Mountain Sky Conference. Uh, they, they've signed on as co-sponsors of this podcast, uh, in part because of the connection we have through Mel Wheatley, this kinship of those early voices speaking out for inclusion and justice. So glad to have them sort of supporting and promoting this and on the team and uh, grateful to you all for having me on today. Yeah. And, and Molly, we, you know, we definitely want to thank you for doing that. I think one of the ways that we um, show like our whole deal here with our podcast is to help people see that these things can happen. Uh, these conversations can happen and provide a space to say, you know, we may not agree or we may disagree on things, but yet like, let's actually like talk like adults and show the world that like we can do that because, you know, I know in my experience of even trying to have these conversations, even just in a general or an annual conference setting was a dumpster fire. Um, and it's like, no, we don't do that. We just don't. And it's kind of like, we don't talk about cousin Chris because we just don't. Uh, Bruno. Bruno's yeah, don't yeah I guess, I guess we don't talk about Bruno. Um, shows you how much I pay attention to my children right now. Um, has, there been, has there been an episode about how that whole movie is a parable about the United Methodist Church? No, but there could be. I mean, if you want, if you want, Ida is the denomination. Bruno is our queer kin, literally living in the walls between. Anyway, it it all works. It all works. All right, so uh, you're coming back next week, and you're gonna unpack this with us, <laughs> so we can uh, have a little bit more, uh, a little bit more fodder for things. That'd be great. Um, great. But you know, Molly, I, I definitely thank you for the work that you're doing on this because it's vital to show it. Because, and I'm not, and, and I say that because I know. Uh, if there's one thing I always say the conservative branch does well is they get their information out there. Um, and uh, much to the progressive side's detriment, we just don't. Yeah. Um, and I find that for as someone who, you know, I didn't grow up Methodist. I didn't even grow up Christian. I mean, I'm like, that was something that always bothered me <laughs> was like, here's what I hear. Yeah. And I'm not seeing the other side. There's more to this and what could be. And, and so Definitely the work you're doing is vital um, and, you know, definitely want to encourage you to, you know, continue that work. If uh, we'll definitely share uh, links to your podcast and our website um, and through this pod, uh, episode, um, you know, if you ever want to come back on after you do the second season and you have more on, you know, we'd definitely be glad to have you back on to reflect on the second season. Thank um, you. If you want to do a watch show and we can like do a watch show with you, we'd be oh, glad that'd to be do fun. that. Uh, I mean, there, you know, now with this medium has exploded as much as it has, you know, we definitely would be glad to explore that with you, uh, because I know it's something uh, that both Zach and I are passionate about of making sure that the church um, can learn what justice is and love kindness and be able to live that in such a way that, you know, that we really live into who we say we are. I, I definitely created this with uh, other pastors or lay leaders who are in charge of like 
planning classes or communicating in their churches in mind. So on the website, so there's a website for the podcast and it's got a transcript of all the episodes. The first part of the first episode is my like framing of where I think we are as a denomination, because I want to tell the story from my perspective and not let the like WCA and GMC be the ones to frame the description of where we are. So if like, and this is wild permission to like cut and paste, edit, modify, like if you're looking for a short description, like that's a starting point that you can borrow from. The transcripts of all the episodes are there and some discussion questions you could use in your local context. Um, Whether that's like coffee time conversation with three people or a class that you promote for the congregation. And the website is wheredowegoumc.com. So you can find it all there. Uh, The episodes themselves are up on YouTube if video works better for you and they're on all the podcast services or you can just stream them through the website. Um, The new episode comes every Tuesday. Uh, When I say every, I mean like for six. Yeah. For six. (laughs) For six weeks. Yeah. Um, Awesome. No, I love that. Um, anything else you want to you want to leave us with today? No, just so grateful for this time and for helping uh, share the message and get this out. I do think we have a powerful story to tell, and I think that Jesus is proud of this work, and it's uh, worth uh, sharing. We don't have to like give up Jesus to be able to love our gay neighbor. Uh, I think it all works together, and the more we can be clear about that, the better off we all are. Well, thank you for your hard work and faithful work and grace-filled work. Um, it's, it's important stuff. Uh, and so thank you for that. And thank you for being on the show uh, and sharing with us. Uh, so we want to point our listeners. Uh, like I said, we'll have uh, links to the website and all that stuff up for you. Um, you know, have that up on our website as well. So we, you know, she can get more traffic. Um, and, uh, we want to encourage our listeners to, you know, go like her podcast, give her all the stars and all the comments. So it gets out there more just as you're doing the same thing for us. And remember you can give us five stars, but slam us like, we're okay with that. Don't do that for Molly's, but do it for (laughs) ours. Like just give us five stars and say, you know, these guys have new clue what they're talking about and why are they theologians? And, but, but we think it's five stars. Like, that's all we want. Like, just give us the five stars and you can say whatever you want. Uh, we know that like our three listeners have done that in the last six years. So I think we're uh, tracking fairly well, uh, but you can go on our website at beardedtheologians.com. We've got, uh, we've got merch, we've got past episodes, you know, it's hard to believe, you know, Zach and I were talking about this. It's six years and um, you know, uh, here we are, uh, we're arriving to the point where we'll, we'll actually be in the same time zone uh, after this uh, soon, shortly soon after this podcast airs. So it's kind of exciting on my end. Um, so with that in mind, uh, for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. Uh, I'm Zach Bechtel. Thanks for checking us out. Guys, I want you to subscribe and like this video and put that thumbs, push that thumbs up. Thank you for listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share on all social media outlets. You can check out old episodes and more information at beardedtheologians.com. Thanks for checking us out.